So tonight, we are going to look at this idea of everlasting father. So what we're going to do is I'm going to do like I did before. We're going to explain a little bit about what it means, and then we're going to dive into a passage in the New Testament where we see Jesus living these things out. So before we get into the word, let's take a minute just to pray. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. I pray that as I speak now that my words would be clear, they would be true, they'd be uplifting, uh, and they would be valuable in the way you count valuable. And it's in the name of Jesus we ask these things. Amen. Okay, so before we jump in, as we're talking about this name, Eternal Father, there's a couple of things I want to say first before we get started. One, Isaiah isn't thinking in the terms of the Trinity. So some of y'all have no idea what I'm talking about, so y'all can just listen in for a second, but some of y'all do. And you know, a few weeks ago, we talked about the Holy Spirit. We talked about there's one God, three persons. It's one essence, three distinct persons, yet one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, when Isaiah is talking about eternal Father here, he's not confusing the persons of the Trinity. He's not talking about the person, but the characteristic. And we're going to unpack that in just a little bit. So I wanted to say that. Let's just go ahead and get that knocked up out of the way, because we'll be able to dive into that a little bit more here in a second. But here's the other thing that I really want to say. Throughout the Bible, we come to different points in time, so we have the notions of fatherhood being lifted in here. And for some of you, the idea of father brings up really happy memories, brings up joy, brings up all kinds of really good things. But I'm not oblivious to the fact that oftentimes if we say the word father, there are other things that can come to mind. There can be hurt. There can be sadness, there could be anger, there may be a history there. There's lots of things that could come up. So when we talk about Jesus as having the characteristics of the Father, for some of you that may bring up emotions and feelings that would make you want to have nothing to do with him or not want to hear about this. And I want you to know that I'm not oblivious to that and I'm not callous to that and I'm not just going to run roughshod over that. But here's what I want to ask for just one second. Maybe if that's you, maybe if your history with your father is really bad, maybe he was abusive, maybe he was absent, maybe he was distant, maybe whatever, or maybe there's pain that comes up because of a loss that you've had. Here's what I'd like to ask is that maybe tonight for the next few minutes, even if that's you, that maybe you could take one step back and just listen for a second. And here's why. Most of the time, the reasons why we would be hurt or frustrated or angry or sad, we actually find is because our fathers don't match up or we don't have what we want. And in Jesus, those things are met. In Jesus, those things are there. A lot of the times we get angry at distant fathers or abusive fathers because say, that's not the way a father's supposed to be. But when we come to Jesus, we find he is not those things. He is the way that it's supposed to be. And maybe that's hard for you right now. I get that. So I'm just asking you if maybe just for a moment, you just kind of listen in and see if maybe what your heart is longing for is actually going to be found here tonight. So 
So I want to say that before we jump into this. Okay, so as we're looking at this name, we're in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. If you have your Bible, just, just hold on. You don't have to turn there because we're just going to use this one phrase because we're going to be actually in the book of Matthew chapter 11. So if you're tr- itching to get somewhere, go ahead and get on over into Matthew, all right? Matthew 11. We're going to come there in a second. So we want to look at Isaiah says that the Messiah, the Deliverer, will be eternal Father. So these two words, there's an adjective and a noun, all right? I'm not going to get too grammatical on us here. But in the CSB, it uses the word eternal. Some of you will have different translations, and it'll say everlasting. One of the things you find about Isaiah, as you read through the book of Isaiah, this idea of eternal, everlasting, um, eternity, over and over will be in the book of Isaiah, almost always referring to God or God's words, or God's plans, or all of this. It's all referring back to God. In other words, in the mind of Isaiah, God is the only one that is truly eternal. And so he's trying to help us understand, one, that this Messiah, this deliverer, this one who is promised, isn't just a person, isn't just a king. He's connecting this Messiah as someone who is divine. Because he shares characteristics with God. And Jesus actually said this about himself in John 14. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus is saying, and in what we find here, the divinity of God is that of the divinity of Jesus. He is one with the Father. So Isaiah is wanting us to know that, but he's also wanting us to know this by using this term eternal or everlasting, that the, the, the Messiah, the Deliverer, is steadfast. And what I mean by steadfast is not a common word that we use a whole lot, but what he is wanting us to know, this eternal nature is not just that he is divine, but that he is steady in who he is. It is not changing. It is not depending on the time of year or whether the time has changed and it's raining cold outside or it's a really great day or whether you're doing really good or whatever. His character does not change. It is eternal. Now, you want to hold on to that because we're going to come back to that here in just a second. But Isaiah wants us to know the character does not change. He is eternal, but he's not just eternal. He is eternal or everlasting father. So I've already mentioned this isn't referring to the Trinity, but his disposition towards us. In other words, he cares for us like that of a father, a good father. And that disposition isn't just a feeling. It's not just something that he kind of has towards us. It's, it's his character. It's, it's who he is. It defines the way that this, this Messiah deliverer will relate to us in the way that a good father relates and has compassion and cares and walks with and takes care of and loves and serves his family, so the Messiah will do. 
So what exactly does this look like? Well, now is when we're going to get that glimpse of Jesus living this out. Now, there's lots of places we could go. There's lots of times where we could look at Jesus exemplifying this. But tonight, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to be in three verses. We're going to be in verses 28 through 30. This has become a really favorite passage of mine. As a matter of fact, I got to looking back, didn't even realize it, but in December of last year, I actually used this text to teach an entire sermon on rest. Now, we're not going to talk about rest tonight, but it's one of the cool things about the Bible is the same passage can have implications in multiple areas of our life. This passage can help us to learn about rest, but it can also help us to learn about the person of Jesus. And so tonight, we're going to be focusing in more on the person of Jesus As we look at this, especially as he is eternal father. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. So it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is is easy, and my burden is light. So if we're looking at this passage, there's three things that I want us to see from what Jesus says in this passage. We pick up in the middle of a, of a conversation, and we're going to back up in a second, and you're going to hear why that's important, but there's three things we're going to learn about Jesus from this passage. The first is this. Jesus accepts. Notice what he says. The beginning of this verse, in verse 28, it is an invitation He's saying, come to me. Now, this is, this is the Messiah, the deliverer, the holy one, the righteous, the second person of Trinity who has stepped onto earth into our mess. He walks into it, and his invitation is to come. He's wanting people to come in. Now, we say, well, wait a minute. Who's he calling in? We see, what does he say? All of you who are weary and burdened. You see, what Jesus does here is he helps us to remember that he came to call people in need. Notice who he called. He called the weary and burdened. And if we keep in context of Matthew 11 that I talked about a second ago, in Matthew chapter 11, he starts out with a guy who had proclaimed how, how that he was the deliverer, but then started having doubts. And Jesus comforts him with the word. And then he goes up to people who had watched him do miracles, but would not believe in him. That's the context of Jesus saying, come to me, all you who are wearied and burdened. You know what he doesn't do? He doesn't go find just the best people and ask them to come. He doesn't go find all the ones who've cleaned up their life and have a good track record, then they can come. He doesn't call only those who have their life together or who are just like they should be and the model of everything. What does Jesus do? He calls those who are weary and burdened and doubting and rejecting and really not even not following him. In fact, the one qualifier that we have in this passage for receiving the compassion of Jesus, compassion of Jesus is that you don't have it all together. Now that runs contrary. It runs counterintuitive to what our, where our minds naturally go. We know, we feel that I've got to do something right. I've got to be good enough. I've screwed up too much. I've made promises I haven't kept. 
I hadn't been going to church long enough, or I don't know the Bible well enough, or I'm not good enough, or I looked at this on my phone that I shouldn't have looked at, or I got all these excuses why, that Jesus would not accept me, and Jesus, because he is eternal father, says, come, come, I'm fully aware of everything about your life. I even know more than you even know yourself because I know your deepest desires. And his invitation is to come. But Jesus doesn't just accept. Jesus also corrects. Look in verse 29. He says, take my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart. Now, verse 29 might sound a little bit strange because of that word yoke. Now, some of you, you may very well know what this is, but there's a chance some of you won't know what it is. So let's, let's make sure we're all clear what's going on here. A yoke at that point in time was a bar, like a big wooden bar that would go over the neck of an animal, usually like an ox or maybe even a horse or a donkey. And they would then attach that to a cart or a wagon or a plow. And it was the way that the animal would then do the work. And what Jesus says is he uses this as a metaphor, and it's his invitation to leave everything else and come to him. And by taking up the yoke, we're not only trusting him, we're following his own ways. We're following the ways that he He says is right. Because an animal without a yoke goes and does whatever it feels like, and Jesus doesn't say, just come. He says, come and walk in this way. You see, the thing is, most everybody likes the compassion of Jesus, but the rub comes when we get the correction of Jesus. But notice the correction of Jesus here. Jesus is correcting because the ways that we're going are leading away from life, and where have they gotten us? They've gotten us weary and heavy laden and into doubts and into all kinds of stuff that is pulling us away from him, and not leading us to life. Jesus accepts us because he is compassionate, and if he were not compassionate, he wouldn't show us the true way to live. And he wouldn't show us where the ways of our life that are contrary, that are leading us away from him, if he weren't kind, he wouldn't show us that because he wouldn't care. But because he cares, he wants us to not just be rescued, but to thrive in life. If I could use Nate's story as kind of a metaphor, he doesn't just want you to have the physical healing in the hospital. He wants you to have the hope for even when you have to face other things. He wants you to know, and by doing that, he tells us, this is where you're wrong. Turn your life and follow this way. You see, when we come to Jesus, there's going to be parts of our lives that are going to be at odds with him, that are going to be running contrary to what Jesus calls us to do. But he doesn't come condescending. He doesn't come heavy-handed. He doesn't come belittling. What does it say? I am lowly and humble in heart. He comes to us with kind words telling us you're wandering the wrong way, leading yourself into death, and I have life for you.
come and find life and rest in me. So he corrects us because he loves us. And he wants us to have that life. So he accepts, he corrects, and the third thing is he supports. So the other fact about a yoke is most of the time a yoke had multiple animals in it. And I remember one time being told that what would happen in in agricultural settings is oftentimes you would have an animal that was older and that was used to working and pulling a plow and being under the yoke. And when you had a newer, younger animal, you would put them in the yoke with that older animal. And their walking would actually help them learn how to walk that path and how to be that service animal that could plow or pull the, pull the cart or whatever. They would learn by being in the yoke with the other animal. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is getting at. He is saying, come, walk the right way, and I'm going to walk this with you. You see, one of the unique things about Jesus is he doesn't simply call us to himself. He doesn't just tell us where we're wrong. He calls us to walk with him as we walk through this life. And the invitation is to come and we will go together. I don't know about you, but but there are times when I feel alone. And there are times when I feel like I don't know that I can make it. And there's times when I know that I'm on my own, that I'm going to go the wrong way. But Jesus in his invitation isn't do better. It is come to me and we'll walk this together. And the thing we find is that Jesus doesn't use guilt and shame to motivate us. You know why? Because he's already taking care of guilt and shame. He's already borne guilt and shame on the cross on our behalf. He has already taken all of our guilt and our shame and all of our sin and all of our rebellion and all of our wrong choices. He's taken all of that upon himself and he took it into the grave and he left it there. And then he got up from the grave in victory over those things and says, I have life. Come with me. Let's go. He doesn't use guilt and shame because it's been done away with. We operate in guilt and shame. And Jesus says, trust and believe. You see, when we come to Jesus because of what he has done and taking those things from us and giving us life because we've trusted in him and not trusted in ourselves and not trusted in being a good enough person and not trusted in being religious enough or whatever the things we might trust in, when we've turned from those things and given our lives over to following Jesus, trusting him alone to make things right between us and God, trusting him alone to have the words of life, we experience the fatherly care that we're all longing for. He leads us with truth and compassion. So tonight, this is a lot shorter than what it normally is. But the question still remains, so what do we do with this? What what is it? There's three things I would say for tonight. First is this. Trust the acceptance of Jesus. Whether that's for the first time or the thousandth time today. 
Because see, some of you in the room, maybe for the very first time, you've heard the message of Jesus. You've heard the love of Jesus. You've heard who he is and what he's done for you. And you've not taken that step to say, I'm trusting Jesus. I believe that he will accept me. He knows more about me than I even know about myself. I believe that he will do that. Maybe tonight you need to take that step for the very first time of trusting your life with Jesus and following after him. Or maybe, just maybe, just maybe, you're a little bit like me. And I screw up regularly. And I start wondering if this invitation is still for me. Because after all, I mean, I'm, I'm supposed to be a campus minister. Like, like I've been to seminary. I've been ordained. I mean, I'm a pastor. I mean, like, like, I am not supposed to be the one who messes up. I'm not supposed to be the one who looks on the inside and sees hypocrisy that doesn't match up with the things I'm asking everybody else to do, but finding things in my own heart that aren't that way. So what does that mean? I know I don't want to be a hypocrite, but man, sometimes it's right there on the inside and I don't know. I don't know if this is for me. And Jesus tells me and he tells you if you're in the same boat, come. Because he's taking care of all those things. And we often will start trusting in something else, in his message to you and to me over and over again is come. Stop trusting in something else to give you peace and rest. Stop trusting in something else to lead you to life. Come to me. And he's not extending an invitation if he doesn't want you to take it. So maybe for the first time or the thousandth time, Trust the acceptance of Jesus. I love Romans 5 It's probably my favorite verse in the Bible. It says, but God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His compassion is greater than our failure. So we must trust the acceptance of Jesus. Secondly, you guessed it, trust the correction of Jesus. Jesus wants what's best for us. He wants the fullness of life. He wants us to be fulfilled. And our thoughts and our desires will often run contrary. Trust in Jesus. Third thing is this. Trust the support of Jesus. So I grabbed this book. No joke. I So... This book is one of the few books that I've read, and as soon as I got done, the next day I started it back at the beginning and read it over again. It was so good. Some of y'all have heard me talk about this. That's okay. I'm going to say, tell you the same thing. It's so good. And I grabbed it uh, just because I was going to encourage you guys because we've got a whole bunch of copies that somebody gave, so I would encourage you, please grab one of these before you leave. But I literally was just sitting over here, and I, I was just going to have it to show up, and I just thumbed open to a page because I thought, you know what? I bet I can open just open almost any random page and I'll find something that hits right here. And I did. Trust the support of Jesus. This is what he writes. Our tendency is to feel intuitively that the more difficult life gets, the more alone we are. As we sink further into pain, we sink further into isolation. The Bible corrects us. Our pain never outstrips what he himself shares in. We are never alone. That sorrow that feels so isolating, so unique, was endured by him in the past, 
It is now shouldered by him in the present. When the relationship goes sour, when the feelings of futility come flooding in, when it feels like life is passing us by, when it seems that our one-shot significance has slipped through our fingers and we can't sort out our emotions, when the longtime friends let us down, when a family member betrays us, when we feel deeply misunderstood, when we are laughed at by... We are laughed at by the impressive. In short, when the fallenness of the world closes in on us and makes us want to throw in the towel, there, right there, we have a friend who knows exactly what such testing feels like and sits close to us and embraces us, with us. Solidarity. See, the fact of the matter is, Jesus calls us to himself. He shows us the way and shows us where we need to turn and shows us how we need to live different. And then as we walk through that, he walks through it with us. So I want to ask you to take just a moment and think, ponder, meditate on this. Where do you struggle to trust Jesus? In a room this size, I, I know that there are probably some of you, maybe several of you, that, that you're, not, you're not a follower of Jesus. You may be somewhere on a spiritual spectrum to don't believe he even existed, to maybe there's some neat things about him that I'm still trying to sort out, to some of you are, man, I'm following after Jesus. But the reality is all of us mess up when it comes to trusting. Where do you struggle to trust Jesus? So I want to ask you to think about that. And then maybe just talk to him about it a little bit. Even if you're on that spectrum where you're just kind of like, I don't even know if he exists, but I hear it and I like it. I want it to be true, but I don't know if it is. Maybe even you just take just a moment and say, hey, Jesus, I don't know if all this is true, but I really want this to be true. Would you show me? And maybe you are somebody who's a follower of Jesus. You've been walking with him for years, and things are just really hard right now. And you just think, there's nothing he wants to do with me. You have a hard time trusting Jesus accepts you even now. Would you maybe just spend a few minutes in his presence, reminding yourself, that even though you don't feel like it, the Bible reminds us it's true. I'm going to ask Brogan and the team to come. They're going to, they're going to pray for, they're, they're going to play. They probably, Brogan will probably be praying while he's playing. I mean, he, he does that. Um, but they're going to play, and we're going to give you just a, we're going to give you a few minutes just to kind of sit with this, think about this, pray through this. Um, if you need somebody to talk to, if you need somebody to pray with, uh, I'll be on the back. We may have a couple student leaders that may come back there as well, so there's more people if you need somebody to pray with. I'm going to pray for you, um, and then we're going to uh, we'll just kind of give you a moment to process it, and then we'll sing a few songs and be done for tonight. Let's pray. God, thank you for... Thank you for the reassurance of your word when... God, I just know when things inside of me make me feel like it can't be true. I feel like I've messed up too much. Lord, your grace is greater than every sin I could imagine. So Lord, I'm I'm grateful, I'm thankful. And Lord, I pray for my friends here now as we 
as you're working in some of their hearts to, to trust you more. Lord, I pray that you'd help them to see uh, where, um, where trust is thin. And then, God, I pray gently you would walk with them through that and they would know and trust you more because you're good. So, Father, speak to us now. Give us wisdom, we pray, in the name of Jesus.